the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Luke. Before the effectual cleansing work of the cross can be realized, there's still the suffering of Jesus to go through. And he realizes this. So that baptism he's referring to there is not a baptism of the Holy Spirit or baptism of water. This is a baptism of suffering. He's referring to the baptism of suffering, the immersion of his body, soul, and spirit in suffering and in agony. But I have a baptism to undergo and how distressed I am until it is completed. Jesus longs to be with you. He wants you to experience the full life that God has for you, that He came to give you. But Jesus also knew that you couldn't live in His grace and freedom until He made the way. In today's study in the book of Luke, Pastor Gary explains that Jesus knew that He would have to suffer and that it was going to be bad. And like anyone who can see hardship coming, he wasn't looking forward to it. But because of his overwhelming love for you, Jesus was willing to lay down his life. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Luke chapter 12 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. He says, you must be ready because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect it. He talks here um, in verse 38, could be the second or third watch of the night. And they divided their time. The first watch was 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. because the day for a Jew began at sunset. First watch was 6 to 9 p.m. Second watch was 9 p.m. to midnight. Third watch was midnight to 3 a.m., and then the fourth watch was 3 a.m. to, 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. So Jesus said, you know, I, I could come second or third watch. I could come 9 p.m. to midnight. That would be the second watch. I could come midnight to 3 a.m. Hey, guess what? Jesus could come at weird hours of the, of the middle of the night, and this much we know to be true. Be ready. He's going to come when you don't expect him, and somewhere around the world, it'll be 3 a.m. You know, somewhere, it's going to be the second watch or the third watch. When Jesus comes... It's going to be a different time somewhere, although in some sense time uh, will stand still. Uh, But Jesus says, you know, here basically, be ready. Be ready. Now, the fact that we don't know exactly when he's going to return uh, is also another reason to be pure. And in fact, I'm going to give you two verses. Uh, You don't need to turn there because I'll read them before you can find it. 1 John 3, verses 2 and 3. Listen to what it says. Dear friends, now we are children of God. This is 1 John 3, verse 2. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But when we know, but rather he says, we know that when he appears, 
we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. You hear what John is saying? John is saying, listen, one day we're going to be just like Jesus. We're going to see him as he is. We're going to get a glorified body just like Jesus has one. And in the meantime, we purify ourselves because the expectant, imminent return of Jesus Christ means that we have to keep our lives in right relationship with him to be pure and holy before him because he could come at any time. Now, John didn't only say it. Peter also said it in uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, uh, verses 10 through 12. This is what Peter says. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. This is what Jesus also said. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? And then he answers it. You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. John says it. Peter says it. Jesus is saying it to us. you got to be ready. You don't know when the Lord is going to return. It, it could be at any time. And, and there's this difficulty here when you look at what he says back here in Luke 12. He says, you know, he kind of compares himself to a thief. You know, if you had known at what hour the thief was coming, you would not have let your house be broken into. It's not that he's comparing himself to a thief. He, he's comparing himself to a, a being proactive so that a thief, you know, you, you don't sit around uh, and just, you know, wait for a thief to break into your house. You're ready. You're guarded. You're on alert. And in the same way, he's making the comparison of being ready and on alert and guarded. He's not saying he's like a thief in that sense. He's just saying, have the same disposition of vigilance that you have when you think about your own home and a thief potentially breaking in. Have that same vigilance when it comes to my imminent return. Be watching, be ready, be prepared. Now, verse 41, Peter asked, Lord, are you telling the Spirit about us or to everyone? <laughs> I'm, not sure. I'm not sure what his point was behind that. Just you know, Lord, is this just for us? Is this kind of like a personal thing you're saying, or is this for everybody? Well, the Lord answered, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. I tell you the truth, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose the servant says to himself, my master's taking a long time in coming, and he then begins to beat the men servants and maid servants, and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he is not aware of, he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. Well, that's some strong, that's salty language right there, isn't it? So Peter's like, is this just intended for us or for everybody? And Jesus is basically saying it's for everybody. And he uses, again, kind of parabolic terms here when he says, you know, it's like a master, you know, puts a servant in charge, and we have to be good stewards of everything that he's given us and the relationship we have in him until he returns because he needs to find us faithful. What have we done with what he's given us? And I'm not just talking about material stuff, talking about your relationship with Christ. What have you done with that? You know, what have you done with that? Because the master's coming, and he's going to look to see who is faithful. And he talks here about two kinds of people here. He basically talks about uh, the arrogant and the ignorant. 
It talks about the arrogant and the ignorant. The arrogant say in verse uh, 45, my master's taken a long time in coming. And so then he's just going to live like a rebel rouser. And then he begins to beat the men servants and maid servants and to eat and drink and get drunk. In other words, his life is not consistent with his behavior, not consistent with his belief. He's not really living for the Lord. He's just kind of, again, it's living in the extremes. I don't know when Jesus is coming back. I'm just going to live how I want to live. And I'm just going to, you know, go get drunk and be careless. And, and that's the arrogant. But then there's the ignorant. When he talks there, um, well, first of all, the arrogant, the penalty for the arrogant is that he will come uh, and cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. So he's basically saying the arrogant one who thinks, well, the Lord is long in coming and then lives his life in such a way that actually reflects the fact that he is not even a believer, he'll be judged for that. But then he goes on in verse 47, he says, that servant who knows his master's will and does not get ready or does not do what his master wants will be beaten with many blows. Verse 48, but the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment, will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded, and from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. It's very interesting the way he frames this, and it's a little difficult to interpret, but again, basically he's distinguishing between the arrogant who say, you know, Jesus is just a long time in coming, I'm going to live however I want to live, and has no real regard for living out his belief. His behavior actually demonstrates that he's not a believer. Therefore, when Jesus returns, he'll judge him and cast him with the unbelievers. But then he adds here, but then there's some who don't even know. And he says that they will be punished, but not as severely. And they will not be lumped together with unbelievers. There is, you know, God makes gracious provision for the ignorant. I don't understand how all that works. You know, I know that that is a major argument that people have against Christianity who are skeptical. You know, well, what about the person who never heard? What about some guy on the island who has never known? Or you mean to tell me that God's just going to send him to hell? He never heard the Bible, never owned a Bible, never heard anything about the truth. That guy on the island, you mean to tell me? And usually when people say that, they're just deflecting their own accountability onto the guy on the island. Okay? Because the real issue is, don't you worry about the guy on the island. God will take care of the guy on the island. The real issue is, what about you when you stand before the Lord? So most people don't want to deal with their own sinful state, so it's easier to just deflect onto some uh, you know, mysterious, mythical guy on an island. But in the end, look, if you know and believe that God is just and true and holy and right, you know, Peter says, it would have been better for people never to have known than to have known the way and turn their backs on it. So there seems to be some way that God makes gracious provision for the ignorant. There's still an accountability because Paul says in Romans that, you know, no one can claim complete ignorance because even creation testifies that there's a creator and the commandments testify that there's a creator and conscience testifies that there's a creator. That's what Paul says in the first couple of chapters of Romans. And he says, so therefore, no one is without excuse. And Jesus even says here that the one who doesn't know uh, will receive punishment, but it won't be as severe. So there's some still accountability, and yet at the same time, God makes gracious provision for the ignorant versus the arrogant. And in the end there, he says, again, from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded, and from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. So the punishment will fit the crime, so to speak. That God is just, and in his judgment, he will judge us according to 
personal accountability. How much did you know? How much were you aware of this? And it'll be proportional because God is just and fair and true. Well, reading on in verse 49, he says, I have come to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo, and how distressed I am until it is completed. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two, and two against three. They will be divided, father against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Well, we knew that last part. But, um, (laughs) But he says here three things. In verse 49, it came to bring fire. Verse 50... I have a baptism to undergo. And verse 51, I haven't come to bring peace, but division. So in my Bible, I circle the words fire, baptism, and division. Fire, baptism, and division. Now, first things first. What does he mean by fire? I came to bring fire in the earth. Most of the time, fire is indicative of judgment. But I don't think, and when you read different Bible scholars, uh, it is generally agreed that that's probably not what he's talking about here. It could be, but probably not. Why do we think he's not referring to judgment? Because he says here, I've come to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled, like he's looking forward to it. That's not the heart of Jesus. He's not looking forward to judgment. In fact, in John three seventeen, Jesus said the Son of Man came not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So the ministry and mission of Jesus in his first coming was not judgment. That'll be his mission in the second coming. But in his first coming, it wasn't judgment. So it's probably not referring to judgment. He says, I've come to bring fire on the earth. I come to bring judgment. No, John 3, 17, it's come not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. His first purpose was salvation, to come with grace. And he's eager, and how I wish it were already kindled. So it is more likely that what he's referring to here is the cleansing work of the cross. I've come to bring fire. There's a, fire is a refining process. Fire burns away. Fire refines. You know, you, when you heat up precious metal and you get it to a liquid form, and then the dross rises to the top, you skim it off, and then you have more, you know, 14 carat and 21 carat and 24 carat gold. You know, the, the purer it is, the more that the other elements have been removed from it, and the only way you get it more pure is through an intense heat. And so there's a refining element of fire. There's a cleansing element of fire. And he's probably referring to the idea of the cross being that ultimate cleansing work. And he says, I already wish that that cleansing work, that the fire, that the refining work that will come through the cross has already happened. Because he looks forward to the cleansing work that comes through faith in Jesus because of his death on the cross. However, he says, there's a baptism I have to undergo first. There's a baptism I have to, there's a suffering. Before the effectual cleansing work of the cross can be realized, there's still the suffering of Jesus to go through. And he realizes this. So that baptism he's referring to there is not a baptism of the Holy Spirit or baptism of water. This is a baptism of suffering. He's referring to the baptism of suffering, the immersion of his body, soul, and spirit in suffering and in agony. But I have a baptism to undergo and how distressed I am until it is completed. Very similar to the language in Mark chapter 10. You'll remember that James and John came up to Jesus and in Mark 10... 
They say to him, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. You know, I don't know, you're putting God on the, taking God to the task there. That's kind of a bold thing to say. We want, we want God, you know, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And then Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And they replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left. And Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? So he's referring to the, the suffering that he has to go through. And so that's what he's mentioning here. So he looks forward to the cleansing work of the cross, the ultimate thing that the cross will accomplish by his death, but he's going to have to suffer on the way there. Uh, And he says, I am distressed until it is completed. And then he adds this part here in verse 51 about division. He says, listen, family members are going to be divided over me. Friends are going to be divided over me. Nations will be divided over me. You know, if you want to... Start a riot. Just start talking about Jesus. You know, in your workplace, just at your lunch hour, you start talking about Jesus. He is an instant polarizing effect in families, in offices, among wherever. Okay, And you know how it goes. Many of your families, you have this rule. You know, don't talk about politics and religion. Because politics and religion can be pretty divisive. And Jesus knows it about himself. It's because the truth is challenging. And so whenever you talk about Jesus, there will be some people who will be rah-rah, and there will be other people who will be angry and upset and don't want to be accountable. And so there's instant division built into just the name of Jesus. You know, peace will come in his second coming. And when he then defeats all the nations that are opposed to him in the Battle of Armageddon, he sets up his kingdom for a thousand years Uh, that's when peace will reign. And then for all eternity, that's when the Prince of Peace comes and peace will rule and reign. Not now. His first coming is about division, not peace. You start talking about Jesus, you're going to get a lot of people mad. Just be prepared for it. There's going to be division. Some of you know this in your own families. You know, you you just can't really talk about Jesus because, uh, you know, it ruins holidays, unfortunately. And then, you know, what happens is you get really burdened for your family because you want to talk about Jesus, but then there's this wall that goes up and all that it turns into is a big fight. And sometimes you have to realize that God is going to have to reach your family members uh, with somebody else besides you. Because uh, sometimes you're a little too close to the subject. Jesus even said a prophet is without honor in his own hometown. Even in his own hometown of Nazareth, they rejected Jesus. I think what Jesus said is a good principle in general to understand that sometimes within your own family, the people who know you the best will receive from you the truth the least. And God will use other people to bring them into the truth, and it may just simply not be you. It might be you, and that would be wonderful, but it may not be you because of the divisive nature of just the name of Jesus. So he says in verse 54, he said to the crowd, When you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say it's going to rain, and it does. And when the south wind blows, you say it's going to be hot, and it is. Hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret this present time? Why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? As you are going with your adversary to the magistrate, try hard to be reconciled to him on the way, or he may drag you off to the judge, and the judge turn you over to the officer, and the officer throw you into prison. I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Now, in the first part here, what I just read, 
you know, we, you know the old saying, uh, it has different versions, but the way I was always taught it was red in the morning, uh, sailors take warning, red at night, sailors delight. You know, when you see the sky is red in the morning, it might be a potentially stormy day. And so, you know, if, if you're a sailor, you, you better learn to read the sky because it, it's going to give you the weather forecast. Yeah, this is way before the Weather Channel. I don't know what these people did without an app on their phone. But anyhow, uh, they got by. And Jesus says, and you've learned, you know, to be able to read the sky. You can tell when it's going to be a bad day, the weather's going to be bad. And when it's going to be a good day. He says, you better learn to read the signs of the times. You better awaken to some of the elements that begin to show you that my imminent return is near. When we get into Luke chapter 21, we're going to see a whole list. Jesus gives us a whole list in Matthew 24, but then coming up here in Luke 21, Luke 21, 11, specifically talks about the increase of earthquakes, the increase of tidal waves, the increase of pestilence. And... You know, as we watch the news and we hear about Ebola and, you know, before that it was, you know, the, the, the bird flu and, and all these sudden anthrax and all these kind of things that can put us into a panic, uh, we just need to be aware that the increase of earthquakes is, is, you know, natural things that are on a timetable. And we begin to see these kind of pestilences and viruses and, and uh, antibiotic-resistant bacteria and all these kind of things. These are indicative of getting closer and closer to the return of Christ. And we need to be able to read the signs of the times. Again, you know, never to say that uh, what a date might be, but certainly to be prepared because of what the season looks like. And then this last part here, you know, you might read this and take it as a principle, which it is. It's good to reconcile with somebody before you take them to court. See if you can get things settled before it gets all blown up into a court case. But you know what he's really referring to here? He's really referring to, is you, again, it's parabolic language. He's talking about, you owe a debt. You and I owe a debt. Okay? And the debt cannot be paid because we don't have the capacity to pay the fee to settle our account. So what we need to do is before the judge comes, you need to get right and you need to get an out-of-court settlement. You need to realize your desperate condition and before the judge actually comes, get right with him before it's too late. That's what he's saying there. He's like, you know how it works about... You know, you're going with your adversary, the magistrate, try hard to be reconciled to him on the way, or he may drag you off to the judge, and the judge turn you over to the officer, officer throw you into prison. I tell you, you will not get out until you've paid the last penny. There's a debt all of us owe. Christ paid the debt on the cross. He paid for us a debt that we owed, he didn't, and he paid it in full, and then he expunged our record and stamped on it, paid in full. That's what coming to Christ is all about. When you put your faith and trust in him, then the sin debt that was on us, Jesus paid for on the cross, paid it in full. So it's important that we realize that's what Christ has done for us so that we can be reconciled to God before God, the righteous judge, comes, then it'll be too late. Be reconciled before it gets to court. Be reconciled before the judge of the universe opens court and opens books and begins to judge all of us. Get right with him now before it's too late. Hope is an open ocean, jump in and you 
The Gospel of Luke takes a unique look at the life of Christ, from His birth to His ministry, His death and resurrection. Luke described Jesus as the Son of Man, one of his favorite ways to refer to Himself. Jesus was God in human form, showing all of us what it means to live a completely sinless life. There was no fault to be found in Him, yet Jesus was still nailed to a cross. But His death had purpose too. He stood in for you, taking the punishment your sin deserves. And then he rose from the grave, conquering death and the evil one. What an amazing Savior this Son of Man truly is. Are you interested in knowing more about Jesus, or would you like someone to pray with you? If so, please email us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. Do you live in or near Leesburg, Virginia? If so, we invite you to come join us this Sunday for a time of worship, Bible study, and fellowship at Cornerstone Chapel. Find out service times and more information when you visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. You'll also find previous messages from Pastor Gary and be able to download our mobile app. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all for today. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know